Hello and welcome to the Practical Leadership Podcast, where I interview great leaders and try to extract their wisdom and experience for you to learn from and hopefully avoid making their mistakes. Check out practical-leadership.academy because you want to help your new managers succeed with hybrid or remote working. <laughs> don't ask me to sing. That's one of the three ways I make the world a better place. I don't sing in public. I don't dance with anyone but my wife. And I won't tell you the third. That's <laughs> <laughs> where you start. Mike. Oh, dear. Deep breath. Mike Pino. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing fabulous. How are you doing, Paul? Oh, cracking. All the better to speak to you today. <laughs> I was, I, you're a futurologist in the future of work. Is there a future to work? Who knows? Was GPT uh, what, taken over? Who knows? You know, I, I, you know that my PhD is in computational linguistics. My work's well, in computational linguistics. So, so I don't think it's taking over yet. We don't. Mm. We are a long way away from artificial general intelligence and generalized intelligence. What it will do is it will augment and accelerate. And I don't think people are ready for that yet either. Uh, but I don't think it, we're, we're going to see a lot of jobs disappear. I think what we're going to see is people starting to realize that some of the stuff that they're doing doesn't need to be done that way. And quite frankly, there are a lot of things that we do that we don't need to do that way. Like, for instance, there's an awful lot we do with spreadsheets that I look at and say, why are we still doing that? We have this technology over here that could just automate all of this. Why are we doing that? Uh, and I think that it's going to help push those conversations that needed to happen maybe a decade ago. Do you know, what? I was talking to a chap today and he was saying, I'm, I'm data driven. And I said, I'm not. <laughs> well, I know, don't get me wrong, I love my data and all that, but I prefer to be data informed. And every time somebody comes along and says, we're a report, uh, spreadsheet, uh, API integration of, I says, that's fine. Well, good for you. Oh, what are you going to decide? based on that thing because if you're not going to decide something why are you bothering and that with the whole magical gpt shenanigans out here is where you can ask a question and say if a thing does a what how many of these are going to do that and what do we need to know in order to ah mm -hmm. well it says having access to 12 different sources of data sucks it in and says 17 apples by tuesday that's the interesting bit well, you're, you're right about that. That's actually where technology far exceeds human capability. Uh, we are good at trend spotting and pattern sensing. Technology is better. Mm. So long as what you're training it on and how you're training it and the way that you're actually organizing what's it being trained on is done in a meaningful way. But I, I think that I wouldn't want to say I'm data driven. I would want to say I'm inset insight oriented Ooh. and what i mean by that is that an insight is actually where you're taking knowledge and you're you're, you're taking data you're and you're taking knowledge you're combining it to form wisdom and wisdom to me is more important than the knowledge in this game we've moved away i think that as we've digitized a lot of the world access to data and information is less important than access to applied knowledge toward wisdom and applied wisdom. And I, I think that that's really the trick here is that we're, we're now in that, that 
in the knowledge age, we're moving away from the industrial age, we will still have an industrial uh, capability. And that will always be part of some of the things that we need to do. But as we move into the knowledge age, by and large, for a lot of the work that people do, that humans do, what it will become more valuable over time is less the the force erg kind of work. And erg is actually a technical physics term. Um, <laughs> um, and less of the force erg work and more of the knowledge work and more of the what I call wisdom work. And that's really where you're taking experience and meaning and applying it with knowledge to create insight. Mm. Mm. Insight and wisdom. And I think you're right. You're on the money when you said we're a long way away from the general uh, AI. I mean, honestly, people say, oh, it's going to take over the world. Well, you know what? It might well take over some bits of it. And mm -hmm. it's unfortunately going to inform a lot of idiots uh, and malfeasant types to further impinge upon our liberty, our freedom, our independence, our free will, not that we have much anymore. We certainly don't have opinions anymore. We, don't, we have our opinions assigned to us at birth these days. Um, but I think that, that if and when we ever, ever get anywhere near general intelligence, it'll be right up there in the news with the second coming of Christ and the landing of the aliens, really. I, I think before we get to artificial generalized intelligence, we're going to see the real breakthroughs are going to be in computational linguistics next. And those ones are going to be where machines can start to use human language as well as humans can. Mm -hmm. And that place becomes a really interesting time. This is the reason why a lot of people are thinking that um, how we'll interact is going to be more voice control. I think that it will be more language control. I'm not sure how we'll do language and whether that's a plug into our our you know our our brains or whatever. That remains to be seen. But we're probably not. We're we're still at least a decade away of really significant breakthroughs in uh, computational linguistics psycholinguistics, some of the stuff that we actually know that exists out there, but we're still early days on. Hmm. So what does that mean? That means that, yeah, I wouldn't get too worried about it now, but your point that there will be malfeasance, there will be malevolent, malicious actors that take advantage of this technology to uh, use the system against itself, that will actually prove a lot of the places that we have real problems. And I think that one of the biggest challenges that we should be applying some of this technology toward is cyber, because we we are quite frankly incapable as humans to uh, be able to address some of the patterns that we're spotting in the technology that people are are using these kinds of uh, these kinds of techniques. And where the the real trick is going to be is that that sort of imagination combined with this technology in cyber. I think that that's really where you're going to see a lot more of this activity in the very early days. And unfortunately, it's going to mean that we're probably going to see a lot of people doing some very nasty things um, between what we have in our social networks and what we have in our banks and all of that jazz. And uh, I, I just hope that we are smart enough to be able to get in front of that as fast as we can. Mm. I mean, you're going to try and regulate it. We're going to in insist that we manufacture one buggy whip for every gasoline-powered petroleum-type vehicle. We're going to make the loom, the spinning jenny, the... That didn't work so well, did it? It <laughs> <laughs> and, and the point what? the point was is when we put the uh the fake horse head on the front of the horseless carriage it didn't make the horses less anxious around the or the horseless carriage it just actually made us feel kind of foolish driving around the car with a fake horse head in the front 
Well, do you know, I'm waiting for the man with the red flag to come back in front of the electric cars. You can't hear the bloody things. They're humming along behind you, and you think, oh, good God, what was that? Give me a nice diesel engine rumming behind me so I can hear it. <laughs> well, you know, there's something about actually less noise pollution, but I, I agree with you. There's actually a risk uh, because we're so focused on our phones when we're walking around that, you know, <laughs> that, that could be a problem, couldn't it? <laughs> I, I, I mean, the, the, the topics that I try to, to, to shoehorn into these discussions are typically around new managers, people coming into management for mm -hmm, the first time. Mm -hmm. right? What chance do they have these days? Wow. You, you want to talk about a very candid and, and big challenge ahead of us. First time managers, new managers, are in probably one of the most difficult positions ever. And, you know, I actually was a new manager in the period between uh, in the early 2000s, right before the, the dot com crash of 2000 going into 2001 and then 9 11 in 2001. Mm -hmm. So that 18 months was just horrible. Uh, to be a, a first-time new manager. But now add on to the economic uncertainty that new managers are coming in with. They're also dealing with uh, what is what is work? How is work going to be organized? Is it what what does this really mean when we say hybrid? What is what is what are the what are our policies around remote? How do we manage equitably? Uh, in our workplaces in a way that uh, how do we bring performance out? How do we make sure that people that are remote feel that they're part of the team? And I, I think that we are failing our first-time managers dramatically, uh, and we're, we're failing to scaffold them. We're failing to prepare them. We're operating as though, you know, uh, people can figure it out. And it's probably some of the hardest work that I've ever seen to try to do. Um, and And so, I think that there's a huge opportunity and a huge challenge ahead of us. And the opportunity is for us to think of different ways to scaffold and improve uh, first-time managers. But I also recognize that this is we're setting a lot of folks up for failure and, and it's not quite fair if you really think about it that way. Do you know, I'm afraid I don't quite concur. Oh, okay, good. Let's let's go through this. Phenomenon. It's All right. not a new thing. We've been rubbish at this forever. It's got it's, it's like the, the like the, the 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 AI thing. It will and has as many changes have in the past. It will exacerbate problems. It will amplify problems. You amplify failure. It's like a small startup, and I work with lots of startups, right? And they say, "I'm going to scale now." I said, "No, no, 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 you're not. See, if you scale right now, you're going to scale something that doesn't work. That's right. You're going to scale right. failure." You're going to amplify failure. Your electronic magical tools will basically make what you're doing bigger and worse. And so what we've found, I think, the same as you found, because I found exactly the same point because I was a manager in 2001, right? Congratulations, here. What the hell are they? They're people. <laughs> what am I supposed to do with them? Right? <laughs> uh, oh, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. And that was the extent of my management training. So that's kind of like, that is kind of what I try and do is I, I, I try to, as you said, scaffold. I've got an 18-step program for new managers. See it online at the internet services near you. Um, where I try to help people with the same stuff that I would have wanted 20 years ago, frankly. Mm -hmm. 
which is the basic. Now, it might be basics in a hybrid environment, which is a little different. Yes. But what it is, is not fundamentally different. The fundamentals are I, you have to know people. Start yes. knowing yourself. You have to manage your time. You have to set objectives super clearly. Hold people accountable. Give them feedback. Follow up. Hold one-to-ones. All those shenanigans. Mm-hmm. And you have to do it well. You can't just be okay. Because in the past, you could be okay. You could be okay because you were in the office and if you screwed up, you saw the instant feedback. Mm -hmm. But where are you right now, sir? Mike, where are you? I'm in Pensacola, Florida. Pensacola, Florida, nice and warm. I'm in Hampshire, not New England, but Hampshire, Old England. So we're Uh about, what, 5,000 miles away, but we could be working as best buddies. However, if we put the phone and electric television down now, oh, what does he mean? What did he say? I'll just either sit on my backside or I'll just make it up as I go along. And all of a sudden, two days are wasted. Well, you know, I, I there's a really great article that uh, Professor Seidel nearly wrote about this. Uh, and it's it's really, I think that part of this is actually a new way of thinking about being a manager and hybrid. And the way she she calls it is uh, she she calls it digital mindset. Mm-hmm. I, I tend to think of it as presence. And I think that one of the first things that we actually need to do differently to teach our, our first-time managers is to really focus on your presence. So it's it's hard to deal with remote and hybrid conditions with volatility and uncertainty. All of that's true, but there's there are things that you can do to manage the communication, to manage other things about it, to do it. And so what she actually wrote about, she gave uh, three concepts uh, in her idea of digital mindset in this article that was in LinkedIn. I'll send you the link afterwards. Mm. Uh, but she basically said um, short, small, frequent updates to build presence. That's the first thing. So y- you have to be very conscious and consistent about doing this. And it's got to be done for people, whether they're in the office or out of the office, you do it the same. The second is in short bursts, you got to use curiosity to build a sense of immediacy. And she builds upon a uh, work of Professor Eric Eisenberg, uh, who's at the University of, I think, South Florida. Uh, and, and he's uh, focused on strategic ambiguity in communication. Now, that sounds kind of fun. So let's actually dig into this uh, and unpack it a little bit. Strategic ambiguity. There's a, mm. there's a term in rhetoric that's known as amphiboly. Mm. Uh, this term is actually a deliberate ambiguity. And it's actually the most powerful thing that we can do in writing in writing ad copy because it forces us to actually read the the sentence twice. So I'll give you an example. Let's make smoking history. That's actually a famous ad campaign. Okay. Does that mean let's smoke so much that we actually make smoking history? Or does that mean let's make history of smoking? That is, let's get rid of smoking. Now, the sentence as it stands forces you to have to reframe or rephrase. And what is the meaning of that? In fact, actually, a little bit of strategic ambiguity is critically important when done periodically, because what it does is it creates immediacy. It also forces that, hey, I'm not on autopilot. I have to think about this for a second. Uh, And the third, and this is a really important one, is communicate on their timeline, not yours. Because what you're trying to do is build building blocks of trust. And to do that, you have to think about it from their context. So if you're going to drop something that's going to make them think, what did he or she mean by that? You don't send it at the end of the day. You send it at their beginning of the day. And you follow up or you you try to build in 
So if these are the kinds of messages that you need to deliver, think about when they're being delivered and in what context they're being delivered and how you're going to follow up on it. So those are those three things, short, small, frequent updates for presence. The second is immediacy through this uh, strategic ambiguity. And don't do it often, but do it just enough that it starts to build the immediacy. So it's presence, immediacy, and trust. Presence, immediacy, and trust. Okay. Can you give me an example then in this, this leadership context of some amphibole? Ah, how, how would you, how would you um, use that? So let's, mm. let's see, you know, let's have a chat later on today, Paul, because I think that we actually need to dig into this some more. That's it. What do I mean by it? Now, if you saw that written, let's have a chat about this. There's a lot more that we need to dig into. Right. What's my tone? Yeah. Because if it's written, you don't hear my tone. Mm-hmm. I gave you my tone when we're talking like this, yeah. but you, yeah, and yeah. you're seeing yeah. my face, mm-hmm. but you're not seeing any or hearing that tone. So if you just get the sentence, there's more to dig into this. I haven't that's going enough to, f- to provide this for you. Uh, I'm lacking. But you're, but you're not, curious. but you're, but you're or, not actually, you're, you're, yeah. So, so now it's yeah, like, yeah, okay, yeah. so now I have to actually, I'm, I'm going to come in prepared for this conversation mm-hmm. and you as the leader and, and the person both should be coming prepared to this conversation. But when you do that, what it's doing is creating the moment for connection. Mm-hmm. I think that's a beautiful concept. I think there is a flaw. Okay. Um, I, I, well, I just came up with this on the fly. So no, 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 phrase. <laughs> Your physiology is beautiful. Me, please. Psycholinguistics. No, I think the challenge is that the strategic ambiguity, uh, intentional strategic ambiguity, uh, is probably going to be overweighed by the fact that most people are unintentionally, consistently ambiguous. Ah, well, there's that problem. And that's actually early first-time managers have a real problem with that. You're absolutely right about that. Practically. Yeah. So, so I, I would, you're probably right about that. And as you start to go further up the ladder, uh, those bad habits you learned earlier, uh, just get amplified. You actually never really got the opportunity to work on that. I do think that this is actually one of the big opportunities on the horizon. I think that more and more the ability to articulate yourself succinctly, clearly, and in a way that that's actionable is going to be what separates out different kinds of leaders over time. And I I think that you're probably right about this, that that the strategic ambiguity without understanding whether or not you're <laughs> unintentionally ambiguous most of the time, that's a that's a really good call out, Paul. Thank you. I think as well, if you think of the audience of people, the collection of people coming through into management just now, and the reason I started all that was that my daughter came to me and she's 11 and she said, Daddy, can I go and get a job? And I'm thinking... Damn right. Out you go. Got to wait a few years yet, pedal. So you got to be, you got to be 13 here before you can go out and get a paper round or something. Mm-hmm. And I started thinking, oh, God help her. Like if she was one, she meets me when I was that, just, just jobby on legs of management. Mm-hmm. And I occasionally reach out to people and say, I am so sorry for having treated you like absolute rubbish as my learning guinea pig when I was learning how to manage people. But so the reason I started is I thought that this would be a good thing for me to try and fix the world by fixing new managers out here. And I think the great positive thing that's coming is we have all these people coming through into management now whose primary modes of communication is written. Mm-hmm. Thinking, hmm, what? No, it is. It's written. And it's short form, high intent. Mm-hmm. 
deeply social text messaging and it's whatsapps and it's facebook mm-hmm. snap mm-hmm. chat whatever the hell it is pick your device of choice but it's short pithy direct high intent and to your point full tone mm-hmm. and intent and meaning mm-hmm. and they can convey with the emoji of choice or with a with their momentary use of language and format and phraseology i'm going into this fun i'm deconstructing a text message for god's sake but going into that short form text there these people these younger people are going to be phenomenally well equipped for this hybrid environment if we let them you're you're right about that you know in fact actually i think that they are better suited for that kind of work because they've been conditioned if they've been conditioned not everyone actually is conditioned to the 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 kind of short pithy and having to deal with uh the you know basically growing up emotionally around pithy statements rather than you know spending 16 hours with with your friends until you figure it out as you're growing up right uh which is more what our generation would be more likely to have happen um you know as as these things are are changing i think that you're you're really pointing out to something that the one thing about that I, i'd say that they're not prepared for and this is also true of a lot of leaders in our generation as well and and i i don't mean to make this generational but i do mean to make it about leaders i think in general leaders need to learn how to ask tougher questions and to be able to work through complexity to get answers in hybrid and i think that that's actually something that all of us are going to have to learn differently and so you know and i i think this is uh linda gratton actually did some great stuff on this and, and so i'm going to channel some of her work and what i say here but um it's it's really about in asking these harder questions and listening to the answers that are emerging and then working through the complexity what you're really doing is you're connecting values and principles um you're also trying to focus on understanding where the value is, the work we do for customers that we serve, how it ties to the skills and capabilities that we have, and what's important or special about the way that we do it. Because all three of those are actually coming more and more. The thing that hybrid is really exposing is something that's always been true, but we haven't really talked about. It's that edge that's closest to the customer is the edge that actually is the experience of the customer, right? The brand experience is actually part from that that interaction with whatever touches the customer. Um, and being able to understand your place in building the customer experience and your place in delivering on the impact for the business. Uh, this is how, how a leader has to operate differently. And part of that's, it's no longer about, you're not a leader because you have the answers. You're a leader because you know how to ask tougher questions and get people to work through this. And I think that that's a huge shift in orientation. It also means that as a leader, it's less about having an opinion and more about having uh recognizing when things aren't working and how to make it safe how to fix those problems that we're trying to solve and i i think the the last piece of how leadership is changing and i think that this is also something that i don't think a lot of people are ready for it's about learning faster in my mind it's it's about what have you learned from the hypothesis we articulated the problems that we framed and the things that we've tried and how do we make sure that we share them in a way that we're not re- that other people aren't repeating what we've done that they're they're building on what we're learning so how do we do this in a social way now the good news is if you've been socialized in this pithy way you understand some of the components that other people don't 
but the other pieces are still the, the the bigger pieces, which is really framing a problem, thinking through it, articulating where we actually generate value, and then finally being ready to ask the hard questions and work through complexity. Mm, I think there are some definite challenges. <laughs> yes, definitely. But this challenges. is a fun. It's a fun time. It's a it fun is, time to, to be. I mean, look, I, I there are certain things about this time that scare the uh, heck out of me. I think that you know there are a lot of things that are happening globally uh, that are just when you watch this. Um, are, are, yeah, you, you know, it, you start to look and say, okay, we are a, a completely globalized world and we are, we are really not playing very well with understanding how to apply science effectively in, you know, health issues. Uh, and these are going to have impact on all of us if we don't actually learn how to deal, address this at a global level. And this is not just with, you know, pandemics of a kind, but it's also, you know, what we're doing uh, ecologically, for instance. And these are the kinds of problems that we're, we're going to have to solve in the way that we solved problems before won't work anymore, I think, that we're going to have to have a different way to solve these kinds of problems that, that we have to think systematically, not, you know, small, solve this problem, then solve that problem. I think we have to think about things in terms of systems. And that's going to be a hard thing for all of us because we're not quite wired to think systematically. We, we are, we are the, the last species. I'm, I'm sure there are ravens out there that are... <laughs> Better at that than, than humans. I mean, we like to think that we're rational, a rational species. Well, absolutely not. We are a rationalizing species. We yes. post-rationalize decisions that we make with our big toe. No, there's, there's, yes. I think the, going back to the, the, the intelligences or the, the augmented computerized systems, we have to find a better name because it's not AI. It really, really bloody isn't. No. Um, helpful computer things, HCTs. There we go. I've got a new one. Helpful computer things. Okay. Um, it'd be great to ask them all sorts of good questions, but the answers they come back with, and I've tried this a few times because, you know, you see prompts on, on Twitter or whatever it is, and you poke about. You try some of these things, and the, the biases inherent in the system are quite astonishing. Well, you know what? One of the fastest growing new positions for ChatGPT is a structured inquirist. Prompt engineering, I saw. A prompt engineer is another name for it. Fastest growing position. And mm -hmm. it's how do you ask a question in a way to get the answer that you want to get? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what's funny about this is that you start to realize how bad we are at asking questions. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good to your point about asking tough questions. I think there's a there's a challenge not only in frame because of course you can ask any question you like and you'll get exactly the question the answer you want. I mean I've been working in sales marketing and stuff like that for years, so I know exactly how to ask a question. Right? You 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 frame it, you contextualize it, then you ask. So you ask one or two questions beforehand, which gives you the frame, and then you ask the thing you want the answer to is, and and that's what you get. So what your favorite color is blue, right? Yes, it is. So uh, what's what's the sky like out there? It's reasonably blue. Your favorite color is. Grey, right? Yes. What's the sky like today? It's a bit grey, even though it's the same damn colour. You know, you just frame that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but when we're thinking about tough questions, difficult questions, not only do we struggle with not wanting to ask them because we're fear of hurting people's feelings, when we do ask them, the people that we do ask, because feelings are hurt. Mm -hmm. You know, their feels are offended by me mm -hmm. saying, have you done the work yet? <gasps> but, but. How can you ask me? Because I'm your boss. You know, pull it out, sunshine. Get on with it. Have you done it yet? 
Well, I mean, you shouldn't ask that question ever. No, you, well. you, that that question is actually something you should already know. And if, if you already know the answer, the question should be, help me understand That's why this isn't happening. This is the framework, right? So you give the framework for giving difficult conversations is, right. are you on track? Yes, brilliant. No, what do you need to be to get back on track? That's easy enough. Uh, this is what I've observed. This is the impact it's had. Help me understand where you are. That's that's easy, right? That's the, that's the thing. But even that, why do you want to understand? Surely, you, I mean, goodness me, well, prompt engineer humans. That's what we need before we get onto the computers. Ah, well, you know, <laughs> emotions are a very tricky thing, aren't they? I mean, when you really get to it, understanding the social sensitivity is a critical thing for collective intelligence. In fact, actually, if you're going to generate collective intelligence, if you're going to bring people together to generate collective intelligence as a team. The most wonderful thing. I love it. You actually have to start. You don't have to have complete trust in each other. In fact, actually, a little bit of uncertainty creates the tension that you need to generate even more insights. If you're looking for for really important insights. Conflict, creative conflict. It's called creative frisson. It's been called a lot of different things, right? So I, I, whatever you want to call that, if you're if you're too comfortable with each other, you get to groupthink. Mm-hmm. And if you're uncomfortable with each other, you don't engage. So it, there's a space in between there that you need to be. But once you actually figure that space out, there's a social sensitivity. And the social sensitivity is just like you and I actually understand each other. And we understand that part of and one of the easy ways that you could teach a machine and you could do this right now in Zoom. There are tools that you can apply to Zoom that basically say, help me understand who talked more, who talked less. How many people talked over each other? What's the the frequency of the talking over each other? Because the conversational turn taking isn't is if there's someone that's commanding the conversation, you as a leader should be focused on bringing people into the conversation and understanding when to and when not to uh, bring someone into the conversation. Mm-hmm. And this is yeah, it, well, that's part of also you know thinking through that the 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 understanding how to build that kind of moment, that social sensitivity, being aware of that, it's also being aware of when people feel that they can't contribute or that they are not in a position to contribute. And some of that has to do with power dynamics. Mm. Some of that has to do with fearing feelings, uh, whether that's feelings of inferiority or some, some other kind of feeling that people may have. And so that social sensitivity as a leader is is actually really hard. And you don't you can train that, but it takes time. And what you're really training people to do is to pay attention to some of the signals that, that people are giving. And in a hybrid environment, you're not going to get those signals so easy. <laughs> so, yeah. so how do you actually, how do you create those moments t- for that to happen? But the, the long and the short of this is if you really want to create a collective, a team performance, and you're really interested in generating a team as a leader, then you have to be thinking about these kinds of things. What are you reading right now? Four books a week? <laughs> yeah, I, I've been for for the past twenty years. I read about fifty to seventy a year. So yeah, mm. about probably spend about two three hours a day online materials, books, and journals. But the four books, and I'll show you. But the benefit yeah. of the people I'll, on the we'll podcast. We'll put the video up as well. 
Uh, so, well, you don't have to. So here's here's one. It's called mixed signals. Uh, this is uh, how incentives really work. Oh, fascinating. This one uh, is the things we make. And this one's about, you know, how invention, the, the, the background to invention and how things really get invented. Uh-huh. Uh, that was, uh-huh. Those are two. Here's three. Um, in this one, I actually love, I absolutely adore this book. Uh, this is uh, Dr. Keltner's Awe, The New Science of Everyday Wonder and How It Can Transform Your Life. And I honestly think that there's something here for leaders as well and, and for people leaders, people that people that need to think about leaders. How do you actually take the understanding of something that's bigger than all of us and bring it into the conversation? And then the fourth book, and this is the book that actually I think you were just bringing up earlier, and I, I think that this is probably the number one biggest problem facing most business middle management, the elements of choice. And this is mm-hmm. about why we deci- the, why the way we decide matters and how to think about decision-making a lot more cre- uh, clearly. So these are the four I'm reading uh, this month. Wonderful. Well, I tell you, I've gone back. I do. I go. I tried to go back to the books that I've got on my shelf. We were talking earlier on about taking books off, like a fine wine, just at the right moment. And um, I go back, and I keep going back. I keep returning to the same things. I keep returning to Drucker. I love Drucker. I got a whole series of them up on the shelf up there in the Jim back Paul left there. And, yeah. And Charles Handy. I got Handy back there. Oh, yeah. Lovely man. Wonderful. Yep. Not doing so well these days. Um, and I think you were talking and saying some books could be journal articles, some could be well blog posts, some books could be <laughs> really yeah. uh, most of the ones that I return to. I mean, the book that I give away the most every time I see it, I buy a copy at a charity store so I can give it away. How to win friends and influence people. It's a it's a fabulous book. That's a great Think one. Think and grow rich. Mm-hmm. These, there's 1936, 1937, these books are, and they're still in print. Mm-hmm. Anything over 50 years old, whether it's fiction or fact, mm-hmm. right? that's the stuff. Go there. Start there. That's my... I'm looking at my uh, my side shelf here to think of some that actually fit that bill. And Good. one of them is the Whitehead Process in Reality. I, I You know, that's a, an old 50s era science book. I'll pull that up. Yeah, it's like, uh, off this shelf over here. And uh, that's exactly, you know, this is the um, the collected writings of Whitehead. But I think that some of the stuff that he was talking about, the practice of science, is actually becoming more and more critical for us. And the reason why we're in, we are in, encountering more and more frequently uncertainty and volatility. The answers that we had before don't work anymore. And so now you have to use the scientific method. You have to experiment to learn fast, to act on something. Uh, if you want to get really philosophical about it, it's not inductive reasoning. It's not uh, deductive reasoning. It's called abductive reasoning. And this kind of reasoning is actually when you don't have the, the, the full understanding of the context that you're in, and you and you have to use uh, a series of principles to test whether something is true or false to be able to move forward on it. And you want to do it as fast as you possibly can. And so it's a it's a it's a practice that we don't do a lot of. But you know, we used to play games when we were children. Uh, you know, twenty one questions and things of that sort. That I wonder whether actually someone that's really smart might actually do something clever and integrate that because I think that this kind of skill is needed more and more not just at an interpersonal level at a, at a personal level but also an interpersonal level because the more that you can actually start to use that same thing 
the stronger your social sensitivity will will increase. Because if I'm looking at your face and saying, he's saying to me, I have no freaking idea what you're saying, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm going to back down and I'm going to change. He hasn't said a word in seven minutes. (laughs) Maybe I should stop. (laughs) And these, these kinds of things only happen when you actually are in the practice of testing and 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 learning testing and learning testing and learning and i i think that we're going to need more of that not less of that going forward it's not that chat gpt are going to make things easier for us to actually press a george jetson button and be off with it um i think that we're actually going to have to really think differently about what what buttons we need to press and why i think we have to wrap up on the last thoughts that applied knowledge eventually becomes wisdom and perhaps wisdom, reason, isn't pure logic. That's a no. very human thing. It's a very learned thing. It's an evolved. I think there's great hope for us yet, no? I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that, that that's the old DIKW triangle, right? The data, information, knowledge, wisdom. And the top of that is uh, is enlightenment, right? And and I, I think that there's something about that, Um that that we the more that we start to connect these things and we really focus on empowering enabling people really and really meaning it not merely just to execute for some sort of short-term goal but towards actually a mission not a goal right the more that we actually start to do that as leaders i think the more successful we're going to be as leaders if we can help people find their purpose in the actions that they're taking the more that we're actually being a really good leader Lastly, as we wrap up, how can people find you? How can you help them? Uh, I'm on uh, LinkedIn at uh, www.linkedin.com slash in slash Mike dash Pino. So uh, eight letters with a little hyphen in there. Uh, or I'm at Twitter. I have the handle Amphiboly because uh, I'm I'm really actually uh, fascinated with amphibolies. And if you ever want to tag me that you found an amphiboly and you want to send it to me, it'll, it'll give me such joy for a few days. Uh, the last one someone sent to me was uh, the pig is ready to eat. And I thought that that was a good one. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> that one we will end on. Mike Pino, thank you so much for joining me. That's a wrap. Thank you for joining me today. Your homework is to leave your five-star review and please, any comments you have, you really help me to improve every day. And it also helps people to discover me online. You should check out practical-leadership.academy because you want to help your new managers succeed with hybrid or remote working.